Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Payam. Benazadeh, uh, co-founder, CEO of Capella Space. Hey, how are you doing? Not bad. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. So would you tell folks um, what does Capella Space do? Sure. Yeah, we're a Silicon Valley-based company. Um, and what we do, we, we build tiny little satellites size of a backpack. And these satellites are quite capable. We can, uh, we can see through clouds. We can see at nighttime. We can see through fog or haze. Um, any sort of pollution, um, but the capability to be able to see through clouds and at nighttime is is quite big. In fact, um, half the Earth at any given time, as you might know, um, is enjoying the nighttime, and then about 50%, another half of the Earth um, at any given time is covered with clouds. Um, now, those are not mutually exclusive. If you combine those two together, um, it, about 75% of the Earth at any given time, it's either cloudy or nighttime, uh, or a combination of the two. So majority of satellites hmm. use optical imagery, and optical imagery works just like your phone. Uh, if you take your phone in a dark room, um, the picture is not going to look that pretty. It's going to be dark. Um, you know, same thing holds from space. If you're looking at, over an area where, you know, it's three in the morning and there's not much light, um, the images are not going to look pretty. It's just going to be very, very dark uh, with nothing for you to see. Our satellites can actually see at nighttime. They can see through the clouds and every other time. And because of that, um, we've got a unique opportunity to be able to monitor important places around the world um, all the time, um, completely regardless of what the weather and light conditions are. So, for example, we could look at uh, Port of Singapore, which is the second busiest port in the world, um, every hour of every day and every night all the time and understand how things are changing um, you know, what are the things that are coming into the port? What are the things that are leaving the port? Um, how often they're leaving? Um, and, and do all sort of interesting stuff that we couldn't do before. So why do you have, um, are these considered cube sats or are they a different species of satellite that you're launching? Yeah, um, well, they are considered cube sats. Uh, cube sats have different sizes. They, you know, the, the smallest cube sat is, a, is one unit cube sat. It's 10 centimeter by 10 centimeter by 10 centimeter. Um, it, the volume is about, you know, one liter um, of volume. It's a very tiny little little cube. And, and then from there, you can stack up these uh, 1U little satellites into, into each other and, and form a bigger CubeSat. Um, you know, some of the normal sizes of CubeSats are 1U and 3U, um, 12U, 27U. People are coming up and just stacking more and more of them and becoming, um, you know, coming up with bigger CubeSats. Um, so ours is also a CubeSat. We have not um, released any information on how big of a CubeSat we are, but but yeah, we're you know similar, um, you know, in, in the concept as CubeSats, but different variety of different sizes. And so you said right now clouds. Um, a lot of satellites have trouble seeing through in at nighttime. So it seems like I mean, what percentage of uh, all possible satellite imagery capture is capturable where it's useful? Yeah, twenty five percent or less or well, you know, it is, you know, the numbers I gave you are kind of average numbers, and it really depends on which, 
you know, which um, part of the world you're you're imaging. Um, you know, I, the numbers I mentioned, you know, 50% of Earth is nighttime. That is that is just a fact. It is the way it is. Half the Earth is, you know, daytime. The other half is nighttime. And then on average, 50% of Earth is covered with clouds. Now, that is an average number, right? If you go, um, for example, we're in Palo Alto. Palo Alto is, majority of the time is not cloudy. It's it's sunny, um, I would say 90-some percent of the time. But if you go down to Indonesia or any of the countries in the equatorial region from, you know, negative 15 to plus, 20, plus 15 latitudes, um, those places are 80 to 90% of the time cloudy. Um, so optical imagery, you know, really can only capture 10% or less um, of any time uh, when it's passing over any of the equatorial regional countries. Um, so it is an average number, but an average about, as I mentioned, 75% of Earth at any given time is, is not going to be visible to optical imagery. Uh, but then again, it really, it really depends on which part of the world you're looking at. So can you retrofit existing satellites or is it not cost effective to do it? You know, why launch new ones with the capability? Well, it is, it is a completely different technology and capability. Um, so the optical satellites that exist today, um, they just can't do this type of imaging. Um, now, don't want to bring down sort of the optical imaging. There are a lot of applications and a lot of, um, you know, different good things that optical imagery can do and we won't be able to do. Um, so these systems are complementary, the optical imaging and what we do. By the way, what we do is called uh, synthetic aperture radar. It's radar imaging, and we can get into the, the details of how it works, but it's, a, it's an active system. Uh, it works completely different than optical. Optical, you're uh, waiting for the light to get to your sensors, and that's, you know, works just like your phone. It's the same technology as your phone. You know, if, if uh, you've got a little lens on the back of your phone, and the lens is collecting light, um, and it waits until the light gets into the lens before it can form an image. Um, the way our systems work is we're an active system. So we actually um, send um, signals out of our satellites and they travel, um, you know, 500 kilometers from space all the way down to, to the ground. Um, they hit whatever that we're trying to um, image and they reflect back differently based on texture, moisture, reflectivity, and tons of other uh, characteristics of what we're looking at. And then they travel again another 500 kilometers all the way up to our satellite, and uh, we collect that signal and we form an image out of it. Um, and that image um, in the signal, that, you know, the reason we can see through clouds and at nighttime, we can see through clouds because um, the signals we're sending are in a frequency band X band, where clouds are completely transparent in that frequency. And then we can see at nighttime because we're providing our own source of energy. So we're not dependent on light being present. We're sending our signals down, the signals travel down, uh, bounce back up, and then we just collect our own signals. Um, so they, they work completely different, and it's a different technology and a different beast when it comes to building a satellite and launching it. Okay. So what do you think that this is going to do for the, um, <clears throat> you know, the satellite viewing industry? It may be as obvious, but you can see a lot more and you can see in different conditions. But any specifics on what you think um, the benefits will be? Yeah, I mean, I you know, the, the idea here is transparency, being able to monitor our Earth um, a lot more frequently and a, a lot more rapidly. Uh, the idea kind of, actually, I started the company, um, and one of the big problems I was having was, um, you know, a plane had gone missing, and I forget what it was. I think it was a Malaysian airline plane. 
with, um, you know, a few hundreds of people um, on board. And, you know, we couldn't figure out where the plane was. We couldn't find it. Um, and, you know, this is our planet we're talking about. We're, <laughs> there's, a, there's a 747 plane that goes missing with hundreds of people, and we don't know where it is um, on, a, on our planet. And, and so, you know, we think that's ridiculous. And uh, the fact that we don't have an ability to be able to rapidly have eyes in the sky, as we call it, um, or places of interest, whether it's an emergency that just happened or a disaster that happened, or uh, we just like to monitor a place, whether we're a business or a government um, or, you know, an enterprise or, a, or an agriculture company, whatever. Um, the fact that we don't have capability to, to be able to monitor um, in a persistent manner um, places of interest is, is something that just is not acceptable. So we're trying to bring that in capability into existence. And once we do, then there are tons of application that comes out of it. Um, I, I mentioned a few with, you know, disaster management. If, if there's a uh, tsunami that hits a place, it's extremely important for us to be able to have eyes in the sky as quickly as possible in those troubled areas um, to help with, with just, um, disaster, you know, risk management and, and controlling and helping people. Um, if, if, you know, we're trying to understand how an uh, economy of a certain place is evolving and changing. It's important for us to be able to look at that place uh, persistently throughout the year, throughout the day, um, and uh, and understand how things are evolving. Whether it be um, you know how many how many cars are there, how many sh- ship containers are going in, um, you know, and how those are changing over time. Um, so there's tons of applications that comes out of the ability of uh, you know monitoring place in a persistent manner. Um, that optical imagery uh, currently uh, cannot provide. And, and we think those are important and it's going to change a lot of businesses, uh, the way we operate, um, uh, the way operate, the, you know, industries operate, government operates, and, uh, and just how economy works because we'll be able to understand patterns of life. Um, there are tons of application out there that we're passionate about at Capella. Um, besides from disaster and helping with emergency, we're also really interested in helping with illegal fishing. Um, there are certain countries in the world that are truly suffering um, with this phenomenon of illegal fishing, and uh, and we're really interested to help them with that. And we think we're well positioned to do that. So, how well um, can satellites see right now, and at night, how well can they see under cloud cover with your technology? You know, can they? What what feature size can they clearly see? For instance, yeah, yeah, um, it's uh, you know there are optical satellites, commercial optical satellites today that could see you know um, thirty centimeter resolution, which means anything bigger than thirty centimeter they will be able to pick up and and see. Um, that's on the optical imagery side. Now those are the uh, commercially available satellites um, in public, and then there are actually other satellites that exist today um, that do what we're proposing to do. Um, as of today, They're, they do radar imaging, and the commercial satellites to do that, um, they can get down to about half a meter resolution, so they can see anything um, above half a meter, even at nighttime and even through clouds. Now, those satellites are extremely big; they're size of a school bus. Um, they weigh about 1,200 kilograms each. Um, they cost about half a billion dollar to build one of them. And what we've done is we've taken those satellites and we've miniaturized that technology um, so that we can fit in a backpack and do the same thing. 
Um, so that's kind of our innovation. We haven't really invented this technology. The synthetic aperture radar has been has been around for a very long time. It started off um, as a um, as a military and defense focused technology, and then it spun out uh, into the commercial world back in 2007. And there are satellites that do this, but they're just really, really big and massive and, and therefore expensive. Um, so we've packed that into a little tiny box, um, which makes it a lot cheaper, uh, which therefore allows us to launch a big constellation of these satellites as opposed to just one or two. Uh, our plan is to launch 36 of these. And with 36, we can look at anywhere in the world every hour all the time. Um, and so, you know, there are optical satellites that can get down to uh, close to half a meter resolution. And then there are other radar satellites that can also get down to half a meter resolution. And ours is going to be um, in similar ranges as well. Um, I would bet you've been approached by a government uh, wanting to, uh, you know, add to their satellite networks. I mean, who are your customers and who have you um, spoken to that's most interested in your, your satellite clusters? You know, the, the interest goes um, in a variety of different uh, sectors, a lot of different verticals. Uh, but you're right, we have been approached by government. In fact, we um, we do have a contract with Department of Defense in the U.S., and um, they're interested in what we're doing, um, and they're interested in purchasing data from us. Um, and, you know, we're a commercial company, so whatever data that we can provide to commercial companies and enterprises, we can also provide to um, whoever um, else is interested, including government. Um, so yes, we're, we've been approached by them and we're working closely with them on helping with some of the missions they have. So how long do you think it'll be until your um, your satellites are in space or are they there already? And, you know, have you gotten, um, yeah, when do you think they'll launch and then have you seen the images themselves and, you know, what, what are the results been? Yeah, we have... Um, flown our um, our payload and electronics and, and our tech on airborne it. We've flown it on a helicopter and then on other platforms, um, aircrafts to collect imagery and do you know test flights. And we've done that. The imagery looks good. The first satellite, however, is going up in about six months. End of this year is what we're scheduling. Uh, we're in the final stages of putting the satellite together as we speak. In, in our Palo Alto office. And so the first demo satellite is going to go up in six months. Um, and then quickly after that, we'll, we'll uh, grow the constellation and start putting up the operational satellites. Very interesting. Any surprises from the data that you've seen? Um, in what sense? You know, all the, the images are even better than we thought, or <clears throat> now that we can see at night, we're seeing things that we didn't even expect to see. You know, that yeah, kind of stuff. We're not there yet. We, you know, the demo set is going up in six months. Um, and, and so I'll be happy to uh, give you an update after that. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Yeah. Are you going to add any capabilities to the satellites, um, you know, to see in different um, spectrums, you know, see in infrared or to see in, uh, you know, other parts of the spectrum? Um, any other capabilities that, um you know, now that you could see through cloud cover and, and at night, that um, will be useful to add to the technology. Yeah, yeah, there, there's a lot of um, sensors already out there um, doing optical, doing hyperspectral, and, um, you know, just other sensors. So um, we're exploring um, a lot of them, talking to the ones that exist already for potential partnerships, and, and uh, you know, we'll see what the future holds. But um, I do believe that there's a, there's a, 
huge advantage in being able to do uh, multi-sensor fusion and be able to have, you know, a stack of different type of sensors on top of each other to be able to not only see through clouds and at nighttime, but also, um, you know, see, you know, get other imagery of the same location at the same time in other bands. And because, you know, every one of them is quite unique and, and has certain advantages and disadvantages. Um, so the the you know the combination of all these different sensors um, can add a lot more value than just a, a singular sensor by itself. Now that you'll be able to see a lot more, does this affect communications? Um, does cloud cover and night impede communications uh, between satellites or to the Earth and back? I mean, the, the, would the clouds impede communication for, uh, between satellites? Right. You know, is GPS affected by, you know, weather on Earth at nighttime um, or other types of communications from Earth to satellites or between satellites affected by um, by conditions on Earth? Um, you know, it really depends on what band you're you're operating in. Uh, majority of communication between the satellites and and uh, and the grounds are actually in the X band and KA band. KA band is is affected uh, slightly because of the clouds, but it's not a binary. Uh, system, whereas X-Band, you're not affected at all. Um, GPS, you won't be affected at all. Uh, what is affected is optical imaging. Um, just again, it, it comes down to what band you're, um, you know, what frequency band I'm, and um, you're, you're operating in. And, and certain frequency bands are, um, you know, they're going to see the clouds and the clouds are going to be very um, visible and, and blockage. Um, and in other bands, it, it won't be. So it really depends on which system you're talking about and what band and what frequency they're operating in. But in general, again, is your increased ability to see, will that affect or improve uh, any type of communications? Or it's not, uh, you can't characterize it so simply. I, I would say you can't characterize so simply. I, we, the communication, you know, even the optical satellites, um, they use X-band for communication. And so for their communication, they have no problem of communicating with their satellite at nighttime or through the clouds. Um, so, you know, those are sort of separate topics um, and separate discussions. Okay. So you said um, six months, you're going to have the, um, you know, your test satellite up. What's the roadmap from there? What other uh, things do you have coming out and when? Yeah. So um, first demo side is going to go up end of this year, early next year. We've got a second demo sat going up mid-2018, and that has other features that the first one doesn't have. Um, and from there, you know, we're signing up a lot of customers from now until then um, for for the Constellation. And, and because we have limited capacity on our satellites, um, these sort of early adopters of, of our Constellation, we're working with them now, and... Um, and we're signing up them quickly before we sort of go out of you know capacity. Um, so once we have that, then um, you know we're a venture capital venture backed company. So we uh, we go to the next round of fundraising, which is our B round. We've done our A round already, um, and from there we'll we'll grow a um, substantial round to be able to grow the constellation and put up more satellites and and go operational. Um, so that's the plan over from now till eighteen months from now, I would say. Um. Anything else I should have asked you that we haven't covered in this regard? Um, no, I, I think um, I think this is an exciting time. I, I encourage your listeners to think about, um, you know, what kind of capabilities and applications would be possible um, if they could look at a certain place, uh, wherever it could be, 
um, every hour of every day and every night all the time. Um, there are tons of applications that we're super interested in, but there are also tons of other applications that we haven't really thought about because this capability um, never existed before, uh, especially with uh, machine learning and deep learning. Uh, we're finding out that providing and having data, um, rich data that is persistent and consistent that's proprietary um, from space is, is becoming quite important. So I, so I just encourage your listeners to think about that. And, and if they have some good ideas, I'd love to um, for them to be able to share it with us at, um, at Capella Space. Any ideas we haven't talked about yet that uh, you said there's a lot of different applications? I mean, I covered a few, but uh, anything I didn't bring up? Um, you know, there, there are tons that we haven't talked about. You know, agriculture is one of them. Um, this term precision agriculture, you 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 hear about it all the time. Um, but, you know, radar satellites are actually uniquely positioned to be able to help with agriculture. Um, we can actually um, directly detect the soil moisture. And with that, there's a lot of things that you could do to boost the efficiency of any crop, either by... Um, you know, optimizing the irrigation um, or just understanding, if, if, you know, um, the crop health and, and trying to optimize around it and, and do a, you know, notify the, the farmers on whether a certain area needs more water or less water and sort of advise them on how to do certain things. So agriculture could be big. Um, insurance companies, just risk assessment, damage assessment. And just looking at property, whether it be property insurance or or infrastructure, um, a lot of the oil companies um, or you know just big infrastructure companies like to be able to look at their infrastructure and monitor them for security as well as for safety. Um, pipelines, um, you know, another advantage of radar that we didn't talk about at all is that we can understand deformation in the z direction, so surface deformation to centimeter accuracy. Um, so besides from being just able to get a static image um, of a place, uh, we could also understand height um, and form a 3D image of wherever we are interested in. Um, so really quickly, you can not only see changes um, of just static changes, but also dynamic changes in, in the Z dimension and, and how land is changing over time. Um, so tons of other applications um, when it comes to that as well. Um, that that we haven't discussed, but um, you know, just the exciting thing about I think what we're doing is, um, you know, what we're doing is we're we're doing, you know, we're capturing data from space that are computational, um, and and there are tons of stuff that could be done on top of our data um, to really understand um, our planet and and our behaviors on Earth. Um, so that's that's fairly Great. exciting to us. Okay, well, very good. Um, last question: <clears throat> How can interested listeners get in touch with with um, Capella Space and perhaps with you at Engage? Yeah, sure. If they email us at info at capellaspace.com, um, that would be a good place to start. Um, or, you know, they can contact us through LinkedIn and, and, and our Facebook page or Twitter. Um, but best would be info at capellaspace.com. Well, very good. Well, Payam, thank you so much for taking the time. And it's uh, literally, <laughs> it's eye-opening to see what you're doing. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and 
more.